Perverted, brought to you by Sputnik Africa. Hey everyone, this is Victor Anakin, host of the Afro Verdict podcast. Over the weekend, we all saw the Israeli-Palestinian conflict escalate into a full-on war between the Israeli Defense Forces and Hamas, an Islamic militant organization in the Gaza Strip. With hundreds of casualties and wounded reaching into the thousands on both sides, the conflict is only getting hotter. I'm now joined by three experts to jump into the midst of hostilities and get a closer look at what is going on in the Middle East. Let's welcome Professor Ian Liebenberg, political scientist and professor at the University of Namibia as well as Stellenbosch University in South Africa to go back in time and see where this conflict actually started. Prof, welcome. Please do give us a background on the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Hello, Victor. Just a background situation there. This was indeed a surprise attack and very effectively executed. And it is clear that the Israelis were called unprepared. We have to keep in mind that this is an ongoing issue since 1948, when the United Nations at the time suggested the two-state solution that both uh, Israel and Palestine should become independent and sovereign states. Um, As we know, it evolved so over time that only Israel were given that privilege uh, with a lot of support from Western countries, amongst others, United States of America. Uh, And indeed, if we listen to what President Erdogan of Turkey has said, and he's not the first to have said it, but to say that Palestine is a crux to understanding the conflict in the Middle East. And Palestine is, in fact, the main hotspot that triggered many conflicts there. Um, Remember, the Palestinians were denied their equal rights um, and the fact to become a sovereign state. Uh, That's why we saw that Egypt and Syria way back in 1967 sided with the Palestinian people. Israel did, in that case, a surprise attack Courting, having caught the uh, the uh, Egyptians and and Syrians totally unaware, and in that six-day war they were defeated. So one could argue that the intelligence services on the Egyptian and the Syrian side was not prepared for that. If we go a few years later, still the strong uh, identification with and solidarity with Palestinian and Egypt. And Syria made a surprise attack on Israel, the so-called Yom Kippur Urlach, Yom Kippur War. Uh, and in this case, the Israelis were caught unprepared. For some other reason, the intelligence services did not pick up the large-scale movements. And hence, in the Yom Kippur War of 1973, the opening stages, it was a total surprise for the Israeli defense force and for the political leadership. Obviously, the assistance of the United States of America, more or less immediately, um, ensured that the war could be turned around and the Egyptians pushed back as well as the Syrians. So 
These are long, long things we can refer to after that, the several revolts or attempted revolts by the Palestinian people known as intifadas, amongst others in the 1980s. And this will continue until Palestinians get their full sovereignty and the full human rights in the land of their birth, uh, that land currently, large part of it, occupied by Israeli forces. Thanks a lot, Prof. And how do you assess the West's responsibility for the increase in arms trafficking that is fueling conflicts across the globe? Firstly, we have to keep in mind that um, in conflict all over the world, arms are spread um, between countries, but in modern times also by middlemen, which are basically illegally buying and transferring arms to the highest bidder, and they don't care where that arms are going at all. Uh, And if we look at potential origins of arms, I think the one thing is quite clear, um, that they are numerous. And uh, one I'm not an expert to speculate on all the sources of it, but if we just simply think about the United States of America's support for the Taliban in the 1980s, lots of arms there available, uh, which could in due time found its way to various other theaters of Africa, be it the Middle East, Africa, or Latin America, or wherever. Um, If we look at the debacle of the United States of America's wrong assessment in invading um, Afghanistan in 2002 and the humiliating withdrawal uh, a year or two ago must have left hundreds of thousands um, of various forms of of arms, including um, missiles, rockets, uh, smaller and longer range in the hands of the new Taliban regime. Those might have found their way out into other areas. Um, If we talk about the Ukraine issue, uh, massive amounts of arms were promised. Lots of its delivery had started to the Ukraine. Um, All those arms certainly cannot only be run by state agencies uh, delivering it to the Ukraine and there must have been multiple uh, companies that were tasked or asked or uh, paid to assist in the transfer of those weaponry. Um, And we know with all great arms deals there are a lot of siphoning off, there are a lot of middlemen uh, there's no full transparency and control. So, yeah, it's not impossible that a lot of arms have been siphoned off uh, in terms of the continuous uh, USA support for um, the Ukraine. And surely there would be numerous middlemen or middle companies, either formal or, or less formal, i.e. the black black arms trade, uh, where arms could have traveled in different directions, not necessarily uh, to Palestine, but perhaps some of it too. So, um, in general, the the, um, basically the flexibility of arms deals 
uh, once you get involved in supporting one single country, um, is a complex logistical exercise and it's unclear where those arms will eventually go um, because it's not always in the hands of the state delivering it because of the in-between companies that I referred to earlier. Um, if you ask me about um, the intelligence readiness of the Israelis, this was clearly a very effective surprise attack. Um, all what one might say there is that it seems that there was a severe intelligence lap, as I would call it. For some other reason, the Israelis overrated themselves um, and underrated Hamas, uh, and clearly they were not aware of what happened um, during that uh, prepare preparation for the operation right on the ground. Remember also it would be difficult for Silas and it will increasingly be coming so. Um, the more there are violence and land grabs and the forced removal of peoples, the Palestinians will become more and more resolute in their drive for independence and uh, to be in a uh, sovereign state. And those people are supporting Hamas. My, uh, the large percentage are. So it's becoming more and more difficult to infiltrate uh, that areas, even if you have a good security or intelligence systems like the Israelis. So this will definitely not be the first, uh, definitely not be the first, and it's definitely not going to be the last. Uh, and yes, if your intelligence services fail, even if you have an excellent system uh, like the Iron Dome, uh, it could be uh, but subverted by the actions, the surprise actions taken. That more or less my comments. Uh, it is difficult to ascertain any specific sources, any flow of arms. Uh, I think that is mere in the area of speculation. Uh, perhaps it could be a good thing if the UN further pursue, the United Nations pursue, uh, the arms trade globally and how arms travel from where to where with what purposes and how much of that arms meant for a specific country uh, or purpose ends up in that country uh, and not in other countries. For those of you that have just tuned in, you're listening to Afro Verdict brought to you by Sputnik Africa with your host, Victor Anakin. Professor Ian Liebenberg, thanks a lot for giving us a foundation that we can jump off from. Now, let's zoom into the situation and welcome Dr. Anna Bajo, International Relations and Security Studies Lecturer at Nkumba University, as well as Professor Oscar van Heerden, Senior Research Fellow at the Center for African Diplomacy and Leadership at the University of Johannesburg. Dr. Abajo, Professor Van Heerden, welcome to Afro Verdict. A U.S. member of parliament wrote on X that American weapons given to the Ukraine were possibly redirected to the Middle East and are now involved in the conflict between Israel and Palestine. What role do these weapons play in this conflict and beyond? Dr. N. So that is not a given. 
the whole world is currently going through proliferation of weapons of uh, mass destruction, proliferation of small arms and light weapons. I have watched the videos that uh, indicate the attacks by the Hamas on Israel um, territories and communities. And one can tell these are not just small arms and light weapons, but they are huge weapons. They are probably drones. They are probably rocket uh, grenade prepare, uh, propeller grenades. And so I don't think that it is a given for one to conclude that the weapons being used in the Ukrainian conflict are the ones being used in the Israel-Palestinian conflict now. I want to mention as well that the Palestinian-Israel conflict has, has, has really lasted long. From the 1970s when the partition plan was, uh, 1940s when the partition plan was done by the international community, uh, the region has since then been in conflict. And so we cannot conclude that because there's a, there's a conflict between Ukraine and Russia, therefore the weapons being used in that conflict are now moving into the Middle East. On the other hand, though, as a result of uh, the proliferation, it is possible that those who are running away from danger are also running away with weapons, and that those who are running as um, victims could also be fugitives running away from justice. And it is possible that in the period of movement, in the process of movement, some move with these weapons. Although I think that they are uh, the ones which people move with as refugees or as internally displaced persons within their own countries are rather smaller uh, that what we, when you look at what was used in the attack, you cannot say these are weapons which were just moved out by people from one territory to another. Dr. Abaho, thanks a lot. Uh, Professor Faniruddin, it's great to have you with me again here. What is your take on this? Well, look, I mean, I don't know what role these weapons are, these particular weapons are playing in this conflict, but uh, I think what we can what we can deduce is that there has been large scale weapons, big and small that has been given to the Ukrainian government, um, which is unaccounted for. Um, in, Recording in, as much in as progress. We, in as much as the U.S. is continuously uh, saying that they can keep track of uh, the weapons that they've given the Ukrainians, the truth of the matter is that we simply don't know what has happened to um, um, very much uh, small and large weapons that has gone to the Ukraine, and some of it could potentially have found its way to the Middle East. Thanks a lot, Prof. If now these weapons were used, how would they be allowed to be misplaced? And how do you assess the West's responsibility for the increase in arms trafficking that is fueling conflicts across the globe? Well, this is the problem with large-scale arms industries. I mean, the truth of the matter is that, you know, if you look at the withdrawal of the United States from Afghanistan and the manner in which that happened, um, not only were certain servicemen and women left behind, um, they also left behind a number of logistics and, and, and so on. And we can assume also weapons. And those weapons had to go somewhere um, and probably, you know, found its way around uh, in the wrong hands in, uh, with terrorist groups, Afghans themselves, the Taliban and so forth. Um, and the truth of the matter is the same can be said about the Ukraine. It's, of course, a, a, a speculative. I mean, the truth is we don't have any evidence of such. But uh, in war-torn environments where there is large-scale conflict, what usually happens is that weapons 
land up in the wrong hands. Dr. Baho, what is your assessment of this issue? I think the Western world has a very huge role that they have played in um, uh, proliferation of arms. And one of them is that they own heavy industries and factories that are producing these arms. And so the West has exported wars um, beyond Europe to the Middle East, to Africa. Uh, you look at NATO, for instance, and its role in the Ukrainian-Russian war. You look at uh, the role of the United States in, uh, in Libya, in Iraq, in Afghanistan. You look at the role of the international community, and particularly the United States and the European countries in uh, others like Congo, under the guise of the United Nations keeping peace there. But of course, during all these um, weapons land into the hands of wrong people, and wrong people use these weapons on uh, very innocent persons. So what role does the West play in trafficking of uh, these weapons? A very huge role to the greatest extent possible. And in terms of fueling the conflicts, of course, when weapons are in the hands of people who are ill-trained, who do not understand how these... Uh, how these weapons should be used and when and against who, or even if they are in the hands of people who understand, you have basically empowered them, given them a go-ahead because they have weapons and the others do not have weapons to protect uh, against the attackers. So the West has across the globe played significantly in transportation of conflicts and um, specifically armed conflicts in countries beyond Europe. Um, to the other regions that I have mentioned. This definitely has a, a huge bearing on peace agreements. It has a huge bearing on stability. It has a huge bearing on post-conflict um, peace building. And indeed, you can see the American role in the Israel-Palestinian um, um, conflict. America has not just uh, looked at uh, Hamas as a group that you cannot negotiate with, but they also believe it is a group which must be dealt with. And every other single time there is a, a siding with Israel and looking at Palestine as an enemy against Israel. But before the Jewish went to, um, to where they are now, before 1948, before 1947, before 1949, certainly there were people in that territory, but who have failed to live together now because of Western influence. Donald Trump's son drew attention to the American-made M4 assault rifle in the possession of some of the Palestinians. He also wondered whether these assault rifles could be among the weapons that Washington left to the Taliban when the U.S. forces abandoned their position in Afghanistan. Dr. Baho, what is your take on the statement? I think it connects to the first and second questions. It's not a given. Of course, if I move a little bit out of Middle East and, uh, and Europe, and you make a comparison with countries of Africa, for instance, you also find that uh, rebel groups mention the Allied Democratic Forces, mention the Lord's Resistance Army, mention the Bemba groups in Congo, mention the Boko Haram. All these have access to weapons. Where and how they get them, you cannot tell. Uh, they have access to satellite uh, technology. So when the government puts up a countermeasure, they also have plans against the countermeasure. And so, yes, uh, it is possible that as a result, again, of the movement of small arms and light weapons, and of course countries uh, moving in very fast to produce weapons of mass destruction and other forms of weapons, 
um, these end up in the hands of wrong people. But to conclude, that these could have been uh, weapons that were not a given. Uh, but also, but also to say, uh, just to add that we have not seen uh, deliberate strategic efforts to do demining and uh, you know reinsertion and reintegration and disarmament um, in these countries. So it is very possible that weapons are still in so much supply. And so if one gets, for instance, an opportunity to link up with these groups, it is easier to hand over these weapons at a very a small price to the uh, fighting groups. Prof, do you agree with Trump Jr.? Well, I don't know where he necessarily gets his evidence or his facts from, but the truth of the matter is that, you know, what happens is when you have partners or allies, uh, in the case of Ukraine, the Zelensky government is an is in an alliance with uh, NATO countries, with the collective West, with European countries, all of whom have provided weapons, uh, weapon systems, ammunition, etc., to the Ukraine. Um, when you have partners like that, invariably, what happens is you leave weapons behind. Uh, it was it, it happened in Afghanistan, it happened in Syria, uh, in Libya, all over where there is conflict. People withdraw. They go back to their home countries, and what happens is that weapons are left right there because it's very rare to see countries like the United States and the United Kingdom and others actually going on a systematic campaign to get all their weapons back and take it back to uh, their home countries. That very rarely happens. So uh, I think, uh, you know, when when statements are made that M4, US M4 weapons have found their way, way into the Taliban and therefore, by extension, into the hands of others, it's a very plausible statement. Israel, as you obviously know, has a missile defense system dubbed the Iron Dome, which is designed to protect the country. It's also hailed one of the best anti-missile systems in the world. Can we say that the system has not functioned to its promised level, so to say? And how can this be explained? I think that uh, Israel having a defense system, I want to relate this to September 11th attack. Uh, Probably America, as the world entirely, was taken by surprise, not because America doesn't have a strong defense system, but because the enemy also plans to counter and and defeat the defense system. I think uh, having an iron dome that... that, um, that Israel has is as good as having a, a wall around your house and you think everything is safe or getting into the house and you lock up the doors and the windows and you think everything is safe. I think this is a clear indicator that security is not just about physical protection or investment in uh, weaponry, but security is more to do with um, the feelings that people have over their territorial integrity, the feelings that people have over economics, the feelings that people have over their political participation and uh, determination of their political destiny. So there's no reason Israel should sit back and watch. Yes, the technology can help them do intelligence, can help them to defeat the enemy, but only if you know when and how the enemy is going to attack. So the fact that the the defense system was uh, was penetrated. The defense system was was taken 
uh, by surprise is an indicator that no matter how much we have invested in defense, there are those other factors uh, ranging from economics to uh, to politics, ranging from culture to a long history shared among the Hamas and the commitment, for instance, that they have to getting rid of Israel or winning back what they believe Israel has taken from them, no matter how long it takes and how many lives have to be lost. Professor Van Heerden, the floor is yours. Well, look, you know, all all weapons manufacturers want to give you the impression that their their latest and best equipment is is cutting edge and so forth until you deploy it in a conflict situation and you then see the shortcomings and and the flaws and so on and so forth. Indeed, you are correct. Iron Dome was uh, being touted as this amazing system, but we must understand that uh, you know, even in the Ukraine conflict, um, the air defense systems, the Patriot uh, systems and so forth, there's only so many you can deploy. Um, in the case of Ukraine, they were given a few. Uh, of course, these were targeted by the Russians. Um, uh, you know, and so the same can be said about the Iron Dome. Uh, it's a very sophisticated system and it probably shut down a number of the south. It could have been far worse but uh, Israel also don't have them uh, in plentiful supply. And I think when 7,000 rockets is fired at you um, from various directions, um, your system is bound to, to not be able to function optimally. And some of those missiles, unfortunately, uh, penetrated. The Israeli-Palestinian conflict exploded, pun intended, and escalated rapidly in the past two days. Was it a failure of Israeli intelligence to anticipate this Hamas operation from the Gaza Strip? And uh, if not, why was it unable to prevent this offensive? Dr. Ann, please. Intelligence will do their role, yes. And I want to connect uh, that uh, intelligence is not necessarily enough in security. Intelligence can only be very effective when they are uh, when what they detect actually happens if and 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 of course if they are able to put in place strong countermeasures against the the threat so if israel um, uh, was not able to anticipate the threat you cannot blame the intelligence because even hamas has intelligence the fact that they were able to attack and even penetrate the communities the fact that they were able to advance and kill in uh, you know openly is an indicator that they had um, they had uh, enough information that maybe there was a gap in uh, in intelligence on the Israel side there could have been a withdrawal there could have been laxity there could have been an assumption that maybe they won't attack because they they, they also think that the defense system is uh, strong uh, but again it is an indicator that um, every military strategy can be countered, every defense strategy can be countered, and the, the, the group which is countering Gururis put in place measures as well to ensure uh, that they, you, they are not also taken by surprise, and when they, they attack, they send a message that indeed we, we attacked. Prof, and what is your point of view? Look, I mean, from whichever way you look at this, it's either one of two things a massive intelligence failure uh, at the proportions, uh, some are even saying at the proportions like 9-11 uh, in the United States. They, they simply did not see this coming. Uh, they did not have their ear on the ground. Um, 
and so on and so forth. It's either that or they knew it was coming and they allowed it to happen. And why would they allow uh, such a disaster to happen, in your opinion? Because, because for, for a number of reasons. I mean, as you know, there's a far-right uh, government uh, under the leadership of Netanyahu in, in Israel. They have, they have questioned and, uh, the authority of the, the judiciary um, and wants to take control of the judiciary. There has been massive protest by Israelis, uh, progressive-minded, democratic-minded Israelis uh, in Jerusalem and other cities all over Israel. Uh, protesting against their own government. There has been dissent within the armed forces of Israel because of this right-wing government. Um, and so I'm saying that you need it. Uh, it. It sounds conspiratorial, but if there's one thing that can quickly unite a people when they are divided on issues, it's conflict and war. Um, and so... You know, it will be, it's a speculative matter. I can't say this as a fact, but uh, we know that Mossad is a very, very sophisticated intelligence agency, um, one of the best in the world. And to, to, to not have known about such a large-scale operation, air, land, and sea, by Hamas, uh, it's either, as I say, a massive intelligence failure on their part. They've become complacent. They've not been doing their work or they allowed it to happen. Former President Donald Trump said that these events in Israel were made possible by the weakness of the United States. Do you agree with this statement? I don't know if it is the weakness necessarily uh, of what that, uh, that I, I'm not sure I'll agree with Donald Trump on that. What I can perhaps say is he is possibly referring to the United States being very thinly spread. Um, you know, it's one thing to, to be involved in a proxy war uh, in Ukraine, um, also fueling things uh, on other parts of the world, as well as uh, on the Taiwan Straits. Um, it seems uh, the United States is it's thinly spread. And because of that, perhaps what Donald Trump is referring to is therefore it is weak. Um, and, and I do think there's some merit in what Trump is saying. Was that kind of biting off too much cake? Uh, for it to chew in different parts of the world altogether. Exactly, mm. exactly. You know, uh, and that's that's notwithstanding the internal domestic dynamics within the United States, which is, uh, as we know, far from uh, sanguine. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Do you think uh, this escalation will have consequences for Western support of Ukraine? I do think so. You're talking about the, the, the Palestinian-Israeli uh, conflict. Yes, 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 that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I do think so. I do think that, uh, you know, if if Israel is going to respond in the manner in which many pundits already have alluded to, including Netanyahu and the Israeli government, that they are going to uh, exact a measure of revenge um, uh, to the extent no such as seen before, if that is going to be the attitude of the Israeli government um, under the guise of self-protection uh, and, and, and self-defense, then I think invariably there are going to be a number of players in the region, surrounding countries and so forth, um, but also further afield, countries in the West, that is going to begin to perhaps take a particularly different stand uh, uh, on, on the conflict. In At the moment, people are calling for cessation, they are, they are calling for talks and so forth, but if it should escalate, I fear 
more and more countries will get involved, both in the region and, for, and further afield. Prof, thanks a lot. Really appreciate it. Dr. Abaho, close today's podcast for us with your opinion, please. Maybe the support is going to have to be divided up now to channel attention to the, the Gaza Strip, of course, in defense of Israel, uh, just as uh, they won't let go of Ukraine. Uh, I think they'll try to, again, keep in support of Ukraine against Russia. But we could as well see um, a decline in terms of commitment of resources, especially now that the attention has to be divided. So will this have consequences for Western support for Ukraine? Yes, the commitment will remain there, but resources have to be redistributed to be able to counter the different groups that are, uh, are fighting American interests and American foreign policy, as the case is in uh, in uh, uh, Israel, uh, we all know that America is is Israel's first supporter, and uh, that America is in the lead in the fight against Russia, uh, thanks to Russia's instance on socialism. Uh, so I don't think it will kill the support completely; it will just divide it up. Dr. Anna Baho and Professor Van Heerden, thanks for joining me today to investigate such a heartbreaking conflict, truly. Now, let's just hope that this situation doesn't escalate and that both parties do find a way to settle their differences without resorting to violence and bloodshed. Dear listeners, thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. You can always listen to the Afro Verdict podcast on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Pocket Cards, Deezer, Castbox, Podcast Addict, as well as AfriPods. Check out our Sputnik Africa Telegram channel, TikTok account, and other socials to always stay up to date on local and global events. For quick access to great stories and updates from the continent and around the globe, including the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, of course, make sure to download the Sputnik Africa app. May all of you have a productive and fruitful week ahead, dear friends. And I'll see you next time. Afro Verdict, brought to you by Sputnik Africa.